Hi there, this is Dan Delta Collins. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and also youtube.com slash wanderingdms. And now, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about money in D&D. How many coins are there, what type, how they've evolved with the game, and how to get your smoggy players to part with it. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Before we get into that, I'll remind everyone, as always, uh, at the end of the show, we'll be hosting our after-party chat. That is a private video chat with Dan and I and all of our patrons on our private Discord server. If you'd like to join in on that, you can by simply becoming one of our patrons. Visit us at patreon.com slash wanderingdms. Join at any tier. You'll get an invite to our Discord server. And uh, come 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time today, we'll uh, be a part of the After Party Chat. It'll be great. We love that every Sunday. Yeah. So uh, you came up with the, this site. It's, it's, I'm so glad you suggested this, this topic today, Paul, because it's one of these things where I dig into so much and so deeply that I forget that the high level issues are something that maybe we've never actually talked about publicly. Um, as I, as I swim, as, as it's water that I'm swimming through all the, in the depths all the time. Um, it's what, what brought this to you, to your mind this week? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure why it why it struck me exactly now, but um, but it's one of those fascinating topics. I think Dan, where where our histories kind of collided, right? Because when we got into old school D and D, you originally started with original edition, right, and dug deep into that. I went into BX and dug deep into that, and I had my own house rules going for BX, and you were writing the original edition Delta. And somewhere along the lines, we discovered that this is one of the topics where we had the same solution. Like we we both came independently to the same place, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, so, yeah. And I think what you're yeah. talking about is what uh, many of us refer to as the silver standard um, mm, for, uh, for uh, edit to the, to the D&D economy, um, in which, whereas original D&D, and every edition is stuck with this, every edition of D&D has always had their base um, coin be gold. Uh, and the, the original, you know, you roll for how much money in gold you start with and all the prices of the basic equipment are in gold, et cetera, et cetera, um, from original D&D all through fifth. And um, it's screwy. <laughs> and the truth is, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really screwy. And, the, and among the problems are a lot, you know, it's sufficiently off target from, um, you know, historical actual values that a lot of people just throw up their hands and go, D&D economy just can't make any sense of it. It's totally crazy. It's totally fantastic. <laughs> you might as well just set random numbers to everything. There's no way anybody can ever possibly make it rational. And the really funny thing is if you just go in and go, everywhere it said gold, I'm going to make it silver. It's actually surprisingly on target. Not yeah, perfect, yeah, it is. but it's on the right order of magnitude. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, we'll see you and, next and week. The funny thing is, yeah, done. He's out. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, yeah, just uh, colliding. I have a collision of thoughts here in my brain of all the, the topic, all the directions I want to take this. 
I, I want to point out, frankly, this enters my brain recently just from watching uh, your recently completed run of Pool of Radiance. Um, right? So you were playing Pool of Radiance in, in uh, Dan Play's games from the Elder Time. And um, in that game, like one of the first things I think that, that smacks you in the face money on the, on the side of money, right? You, you roll up characters, you're using AD&D, right? Um, you know, pretty much buy the book, first edition AD&D. You have to buy equipment, right? It gives you your starting gold, gives you your starting money in gold, from which you have to buy equipment. You're too poor to uh, to purchase some of the nicer stuff, right? You can't like put all your fighters in plate mail. You just don't have enough money for that. Then if you're on top of things and you realize what's going on, the very next thing you have to do after buying equipment is to go to the tavern and rest up so that you can memorize your spells before you go get into any fights at all. And you walk into the tavern and they tell you, Welcome to the tavern, stay here, or welcome to the inn to stay here. You need to pay us one platinum right. piece. And they're very specific. It's got to be right. one platinum piece. If you have 10 <laughs> right, right. gold, that's not good. Nope, not taking your 10 gold pieces. Give me one platinum piece, right. which is just bizarre. Right. Um, an odd choice. But like, look at this. I mean, it's, it strikes me as shocking that we're playing first level beginner characters and the very first you know interaction with money is I have to deal with platinum pieces, which I th- feel like is already. Wow, that's early for something that feels like a bit of a kludge in the in the system, uh, in the economy of D anD. d I realized this when I was writing the description here in the YouTube video. Um, I was looking up money generically. I just was like, "Let's see what Wikipedia has to say about money," and um, I got to this section, which I've included in the show notes here, that say um, the that the in most major economies using coinage, copper, silver, and gold form the three tiers of coins. And I was like, wow, really? That, I mean, that's what they use in D&D. What do you know? D&D actually did something based on <laughs> historical accuracy? Wow, I had no idea. I mean, it makes sense. Why not? Right? And then it goes on to say, gold coins were used for large purchases, payment of the military, and backing of state activities. Silver coins were used for mid-sized transactions, such as the unit of account for taxes, dues, contracts, and fealty, while copper coins represented the coinage of common transactions. Right, and it goes on to talk about the origins of that from ancient India and how that spread into medieval Europe and how during you know medieval in in the in the sort of uh, medieval period uh, there was no no new money or no new uh, precious metals were coming into Europe through either mining or conquest. So pretty much the the amounts of gold, silver, and copper in the economy was constant. Um, anyway, I think that's fascinating because right there, right there in that description, we see like, gosh, you know, your average adventurer not that that exists in historical medieval period but let's say right your average right. non-lord right somebody who's maybe yep, yep. not quite a serf but not a you know not a member of the of the uh, nobility probably not using gold right like gold is for the military and state activities right these are big purchases right, right. yeah right so exactly, exactly. So, so I think one of our, you know, it's, it's one of the one of the observations about money that if you if you're if you're three basic types in original D and D, your three basic types were copper, silver, gold. The other stuff was added as an option or something like that. It's where you start at the top at, right? You you think in a in a in a role playing game where the, the idea is leveling up from bottom to top, right? That you'd start with the worst stuff and then graduate to the better stuff. So if you, it, from, from a game design standpoint, you would assume that you'd start off with copper for purchases and treasure, and that you'd, you'd elevate upwards over time 
to get to experience all this stuff. I think one of our one of our um, commenters on our Discord server, actually, I think it was uh, Olaf or um, uh, our, our Ranger friend, um, said uh, mentioned this as the as the as the the on ramp. The I think. Uh, the pathway up through the dip to experience the different treasure types, which which I 100% totally agree with. Um, it's weird at the top end rather than the bottom end because there's at the top end there's no experiential extra stuff to come. Yeah, and I, and I would say even the the even worse on the bottom end, copper pretty much is useless out of the gate, right? Like it's right. Nobody right. wants copper pieces. From from right. level one on, right. nobody wants copper pieces. It is utter yeah. trash. Yeah. Even as a big treasure, right? Even if you just find Even it for free in the dungeon, right? Yeah. You just yeah. discard yep. it. Yep. Right yeah. You could you could totally run a first level AD and D first edition campaign, and in room one, you find giant piles of copper coins, and the party would probably go, "Eh, right. we move on." Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just. Bizarre, right? And, and, and I find when you switch right. to the silver standard, when you switch to the silver standard, the nice thing is um, yeah. you get, um, you know, copper is, is still not great, but it's it's meaningful. You're First right. level characters might might right. load their sacks with copper coins just for the XP, yeah. right? And again, now we're talking exactly. about like, you know, universal translation of, of gold into silver. So so everything is 10 times uh, cheaper or or. Is that right? Ten times, yeah. Everything is ten times cheaper by the book, and your experience points are based on silver pieces, not gold pieces. Right? And exactly. and so exactly. right. So now copper is actually worth you know a tenth of an experience point. So hey, that's something. It's better than a hundredth. And um, technically, technically, by original yeah. D, a fifth. Right. It's actually, it's actually times five times five. So it's actually it's actually a fifth. So you need five copper pieces to get you an XP point in original D and D. Yeah. Wait, really? I had really. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. bizarre. I'm used to it being decimal. Yeah, not that either is really very historically oh, accurate, right? Because oh, of, you decimal kids. <laughs> I mean, well, frankly, you know, this is a case where actually I really adore uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, where we use our proper twelve mm -hmm. and twenty. Okay, All right. Well, I, I, I didn't disbelieve you. I'm just surprised that I never noticed yeah, that. Just, just showing everybody else. Just everybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's um. I don't know. Uh, where was I going with that? Right, like I, I always kind of liked the oddity of Warhammer's more, you know, historic system based on you know English right. coinage. Yes. Of yeah. you know twenty yeah. copper to the silver mm -hmm. and twelve silver to the gold, but whatever. Decimal is easy right. to deal with, right. so I like decimal. Um, it's the other way around, isn't, isn't it? Twelve copper to silver and twenty silver to gold. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Probably accurate. Yeah. Um, anyway, you, you really just derailed me, Dan. What <laughs> was I trying to Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, copper uh, is still useful. Copper is still useful and gets you value. Not only is copper still useful, right. But if you consider kind of the OD&D scale of like level 10 is name level, so that's like the top tier when we get to level 10 where we're doing the best we can do, then I find when playing with a silver standard, by the time you reach about fifth level is when the players want to start calculating in gold rather than silver and i and i find that satisfying i like that yes honestly when i when i run uh, od and d now i still i use gold for starting money because i just say you have 3d6 gold no multiplication needed okay. 3d6 gold there you okay. go that's yes, right. Then... right 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 <laughs> yeah it's great you go oh well i have right. you know 
whatever, 12 gold pieces. Huh. Yeah, well, how much does plate armor right. cost? <laughs> uh, uh more, more than that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Let me throw up two uh, comments. Let me throw up a couple comments, which, which, which we've had some great comments already in the first couple minutes. First of all, for example, Kevin Thompson is saying that he decimalized everything in his game. So I shake my fist at you, Kevin. I shake my fist at you. Uh, but moving on, um, the um, uh, our friend Hobo Ogre um, asked the uh, the excellent question. I'll throw up on, on screen here. Uh, ma uh, mail and plate uh, should be way more expensive than listed in most game versions. Um, and you're right. Maybe I'll mention that in a little bit. So there's a couple of things. Like when I'm saying switch to silver standard and the, the equipment and cost lists uh, in original Dean, like surprisingly on target, there's a couple of exceptions. And that's, yes, armor should be uh, um, dialed up. And like Paul said, uh, they did it in advanced D&D, right? That was observed. That was correctly increased in advanced D&D. makes a lot of sense. But And again, it's both realistic and it's good for game design. And for me, you hit those two beats at the same time, right? That's your gold standard for game design is it both kind of matches the real world and it's eminently playable. Um, and the question from uh, Calstaff that I wanted to address is Calstaff's asking, if you go to a silver standard, then do you need to divide random treasure generated by 10 or 20? And I, to, for me, the answer is yes. Uh, if I'm using standard D&D &D treasure tables, that's exactly correct, Calstaff, I divide everything by 10. So if you're using the standard D&D treasure types, for example, instead of generating everything in units of thousands of coins, which is what they had to do initially, now you're generating hundreds of coins, which is yep. something you could actually carry away rather than just have to throw your hands up at it. I can't carry thousands and thousands of coins, um, uh, well, but, but now it becomes something is, you can is, actually carry yeah. out. Yeah. Um, you know, you could you could do the other thing, which is just sh shift the, the the metals, right? The 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 you know gold becomes silver or what have. Um, but, but yeah, but but then it leaves you kind of this question: Well, what about the copper pieces? What do those become? You know, exactly. Yeah, they, exactly. you, you got to divide. By and can you never get the platinum now? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I thought about that right? initially. I thought about that, but for the for the generated treasure, it seems better to just divide by ten. Let's let's talk about the weight of coins though, because that's that's you mentioned like you could carry it away, mm. and that's another aspect of this topic yeah. that I love to talk about, which is how much does a coin weigh? I, I asked you that, Dan, at the very beginning, um, you know, just before we went online, and mm. I have my my uh, my BX uh, copy here, and I'm looking at page B twenty, which you correctly pointed out in the very first uh, paragraph. It says ten coins weigh one pound. Ten coins weigh a pound. So, and that's consistent uh, and that's, all through original yeah. D&D &D and AD&D and, you know, homes and everything like that. Which I find personally quite surprising and I think wrong. And I, that is yeah. another thing I like to house yeah. rule is I think that is way too few coins per pound. Um, and then, right. and that just comes back with like what I visualize, what I think of when I'm thinking of treasure. I have some, I have some physical, I have some visual aids here, Dan, that I'm going to try and try and show. So I have this, I'm, this I'm little, so glad. Chest. Uh, right. oops, oh, I dropped them all over my desk. Whoops. Oh, thievery! Thievery's happening. Yeah. <laughs> have, have I've coins, been burgled. Which, which I love. These, these, these are just you know whatever. I think they're they're reproductions of maybe pieces of eight or something like that. Um, you know, they they look. I don't know. That looks about like what I expect for you know mm -hmm. treasure in D and D. Right. Okay. Any guesses, Dan, on how much one of these coins weighs? 
I think something like that would probably be like one fiftieth of a pound or possibly less. Yeah, yeah. So on my on my kitchen scale, one of these coins weighs 0.2 ounces. So about about 50 yeah. to the pound, uh, which yeah. feels yeah. right to me. On the other hand, let me show you this. This is a uh, soul oh, coin uh, from the, a, a promotional coin that, uh, that Wizards put out for uh, the Descent of Avernus. This is a soul coin. Look at this. Mm. This thing's got some serious heft to I, it. Yeah, it's a weapon. This guy, this guy weighs 1.5 ounces. So, you know, pretty close to 10 of these to the pound. Yeah, well, 10 to the pound. So if you're going yeah. 10 to the pound, this is the size of your gold piece. Right. Which, frankly, right. is really big, in my opinion. That is a heavy, heavy coin that you're toting around. Right. Right, exactly. Uh, and I think people have pointed out if you go to a museum and you look at ancient medieval coins or something like that, they're on the small side. Yeah, I would say they're, they're like probably even smaller than these little repros. They're more like dimes, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, these these right. are hefty right. compared to what, what right. maybe is more right. historically accurate. Already yes. your first example is big coins, frankly. They're, all, <laughs> they're already you know, historically big coins. Well, they're not like comedically giant. Yeah, I mean, that's that, like these things, I kind of like them. But again, these would be 50 to the pound. And I frankly don't mind, for the sake of decimalization, going to 100 per pound. And that makes the coins even a little smaller. It's not crazy. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's more on. See, I, I think there's a big variation there. You know, pick some round number that makes you happy. I'm perfectly fine with that. But it's frankly more on target to say 100 per pound than it is to say 50, to say 10 per pound. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I always found that a little strange. Frankly, I was never a fan of BX's attempt to standardize encumbrance weight in yeah. coins. I mean, I guess it's clever because you know how much treasure your chainmail armor is actually worth. <laughs> right. Right. But um, I, I was never do, really a big fan of that. I, I guess I should say if you're using like if you're using my OED house rules, right? Again, just like you did, Paul, right in the same direction, mm -hmm. I increase the number of coins per pound. Um, and do you know what that number is? The number of coins per pound is it fifty? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's higher than fifty. Oh, really? What, what do you got? Hundred? Yeah, yeah. It's lower than hundred. It's it's kind of in between. Yeah. Whoa, oh wait, it's lower than a wait. It's somewhere in between. Yeah, Why, Dan? It's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, it's it's seventy one point four two eight five seven one four. But who cares about that? Because the rule is it's a thousand per stone. No. Which works out, which just happens to work out above fifty, right? Is the important thing. It's a thousand. Yeah. Per, if you like yeah. round numbers, say a, say a thousand per stone, and then you're then you're golden, or or silver or copper, or whatever you prefer. Yeah, if you for some reason are <laughs> a psychopath who likes to measure things in stones. <laughs> <sighs> oh boy. <laughs> Well, I mean, okay, we're not going to get into that, right? This is this is separate. These are se these are separate discussions. But yes, OED, I got everything in stone, so that the, the numbers you're really dealing with are smaller. Yeah, I I, I, do I think um, yeah. It's so one thing I haven't That's, persuaded again, Paul about yet. No, I just I can't I can't do it. But what we yeah. agree, what we agree is that the, the the coins. It's useful to have the coins smaller. If we say fifty or seventy or a hundred per pound. Right. All of those things are non-crazy. 
I will share this with you, Dan, though, that this, this stuff, so, so that combined with the fact that when you get out your copy of BX, you annoyingly discover that the encumbrance of equipment is in a totally different chart on a totally different page from the yeah. cost in gold pieces, which right. annoys me right. to no end. Um, and then, and then these, these little issues of switching to a silver standard and like normalizing the weight of coins, this is what all led me to really evaluating my use of BX versus use of Labyrinth Lord. I, I yeah, yeah, there's yeah. several articles on my blog about like trying to expand the BX encumbrance chart because it's also the BX encumbrance chart does that nice hand wavy thing of like all other equipment, I don't know, 40 pounds, whatever, don't care. Yep. And that's an right. original D&D that, for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realize that. That also bothers me. So I like used Labyrinth Lord to expand things out. And then I was like, oh my gosh, every it's all crazy talk. Everything's wrong because of course, Labyrinth Lord, despite being a BX clone, is based on right. the 3.0 SRD. Therefore, there's some right. three D&D three-isms in there, including like weights of right. things. Right. Yeah. Right. And let, let, let me just get, make one small point about this issue about the, the gear and the equipment. Uh, so you're pointing out in BX that the prices of stuff, the cost list and the weights are on separate pages. Well, in advanced D&D, they did one better than that. They're in different books, right? So the basic equipment list <laughs> is in the player's handbook. And and I guess, the, I guess the weapon weights are there, but the weight of everything else, you have to go look up in the DM's guide, in fact, an appendix in the DM's guide. So you you might want to you might think to say well these were like separate systems and and nobody ever thought about that but look here it is an original D and D here's weights here's prices they're they're on facing pages you just you just open up this uh, this 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 issue is one of the things that when I got original D and D at a at a late stage I was like oh oh my goodness it's it's so coherent it makes sense in the original form oh my goodness and it was um, among the yeah. revelations yeah. that I had. Except that your exactly, encumbrance chart exactly there has what all of ten entries on it before it goes. Eh, everything else, I don't know, eight pounds, eighty pounds, uh, whatever it you is. Know, it's, it's, you know, they, everything else. You have a you have a point. You have a point. Right? <laughs> everything else. Don't worry about it. You're not. You're yeah. not crazy. I mean, it, there's the bit at the top. There's the bit at the bottom for treasures. I mean, as we know, Dan, it's, in order to have summary, a successful right? D and D campaign, accurate records must be kept. <laughs> Of encumbrance, <laughs> we agree. We all agree. We all agree with that. Uh, all right. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I was never a fan of this hand wavy. Like I don't know the rest of the stuff. I don't weigh some amount. Let's not think about it. Well, then why have encumbrance rules at all? There's a lot of. There's a. Oh. <laughs> oh, you're one of those people. If I'd known that. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, so assuming that you pay any attention to it at all, right? Yeah. Among the the nice things about modify about adjusting the treasure scale, right? Both in in value for the silver standard and also weights, like Paul's talking about, is that the the characters can pull out a much greater amount of value, and uh, like a useful amount of value, frankly. So if the coinage is you know times 10 and the weight has been adjusted by times 10 the players can actually haul out like about effectively a hundred times the value in a bag than in um standard dnd and and honestly standard dnd it's too little you're pulling out you have to pull out thousands and thousands and thousands of gold pieces that requires you know ultimately this is it's it's so broken this is why you need a bag of holding right 
all, traditionally <laughs> almost every right almost every D and D party has a bag of holding, and it's required because it's a patch over the broken valuation system. And I that that all that bothered the heck out of me. And if you just make this, you just make this little fairly small switch. You don't need a magic a magic bag patch. It just kind of it just kind of works. Mm -hmm. So personally, and, and I'm, way, I'm, I'm much more in favor of that. I mean, I like when the weight of treasure is interesting, right? Like, yes, there's moments in the game where we're exploring, and I got oh, I found this big treasure chest full of gold, so am I going to scoop it into my backpack, and what gear do I have to leave behind is kind of an interesting problem to, for players to face. And, I don't know, I like, maybe, call me call me sadistic, but I like, as a DM, occasionally, you know, presenting them with, like, here's thousands of copper coins. Thousands of them. Like, yeah, you yeah. could definitely get a couple hundred XP out of this room if you're willing to try and figure out how to haul it all out of here. Yes. You know, or here right. is Agreed. a here in the throne room, the throne is made out of solid silver. Clearly worth a fortune yeah. if you can lift it and right. get it out of here. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy. Those are all great. Those are all great. I enjoy. I remember you and I, Dan, once played in a game where we found a golden statue, and we were so excited about it. Uh, we looked at it, and of course, the the, the DM at the time s smirked at us and said, "It's way too heavy for you to carry." So we promptly removed its hand. Great, <laughs> we're chopping the hand <laughs> off. We're taking I, the hand. Right. <laughs> Couple right. pounds of gold. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking part of it. <laughs> yep. Yep. If I can't take all of it, I'm taking a piece. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we did. Right. <laughs> yeah. I should, okay. I should bring up like a couple images here. Um, if you can bring up the first, uh, the first image that I've got, did we talk about this beforehand? <laughs> did you know no, that I set images up? <laughs> uh, I have, I have, I have your images. Uh, okay, so this is charts. Uh, no, wait, that's, that's yeah, the orange. the red dot. Yeah, fine. I got it. I got it for you. So I got I got a shout out. Right, there's an article by uh, Louis Pulsifer who uh, still writes a lot on social media. Very energetic still. Um, and this is the 40th anniversary of this article, actually, where I personally oh, yeah. learned about the idea of the silver standard. Right. So uh, in Dragon Number 74, which was June of 1983. Uh, Pulsifer wrote this article called A Player Character and His Money, and you can see the first headline that I that I highlighted there is The Silver Standard. And basically, 40 years ago, Lewis said most of the stuff that we're saying today. And uh, the idea that uh, you just change the basic currency and all this and just say it's all silver and things work out better. He says the same thing about uh, you should make the coins lighter so they can carry more, and therefore you don't need a magic bag or a mule. Um, his nice. research in this article is that it's about 200 coins per pound actually would be reasonable for, for historical coinage. Um, give some kind of historical motivation for why there were big caches of treasure around. Exactly like Paul said, the fact that the silver and gold hadn't been mined since the ancient period. So people were kind of on the lookout for where had people hidden all the ancient silver and gold because we can't we're not in the situation where we can mine it these days. And then um, and then actually most of the article goes through how, you know, and, and the idea is that the, the, the fundamental motivation is uh, kind of if if you don't think about it, traditional D&D, the players wind up having these giant mountainous, you know, smog like 
treasure rooms, like you can see in the illustration there, how do you solve yep. this ridiculous aspect of the game? So there's turn it to silver, make the money smaller. They don't need these big gobs of things. And then how do they spend it? And he goes through several pages of things, you know, some of which is in the original rules and then some other ideas. So um, we we did a whole episode about that before, right, Paul? On we did. Player we expenses. did. Season five. Um, right. uh, sorry, season three, episode five is uh, player expenses. Uh, where does the gold go? We talk a lot about about how to how to separate players from their from their money. Um, so yeah, go so check that go, out if you want to hear it. We'll let people go that. see that. But it, but Pulsifer does the same thing. He talks about upkeep and strongholds and henchmen and magic research and magic items and getting rumors right and investments and other stuff like you know theft. Even has gambling. Which, to my mind, seems like a like an early proto carousing rule to me. Um, nice. Like, oh, you can have a gambling house, and maybe they get money, or maybe they get special rumors only in the gambling house. And so, uh, Lewis nice. was uh, you know, great, great sensibility early on for ways to improve the the traditional game. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and then, the, and I'll just look at a second, one more image when you get a chance. I bet I bet he doesn't get to one of one of my favorite ways to to uh, get rid of money, um, which which is the idea of of tying the XP gain to spending rather than gaining of gold, uh, which is a, a fascinating thing. I haven't yeah. played with it deeply myself, yeah. but I love that idea of like no no no. If you want the XP for these gold pieces, spend them. You're right. You're right. That's a newer idea. Clever. Yeah. But you, if you can get right. Dragon 74, great article. You should read that. So this is my, so I have a link on the description here to a blog I wrote a couple of years ago where I take the prices in D&D and from what I can get out of historical sources, the prices of those things historically in the Middle Ages and uh, correlate them. And you can see, um, generally speaking, they, they're more or less correlated. What you can see is they kind of fall along a straight line most of the time with very few exceptions. The, the original prices in D&D, they're not batshit crazy. They're not insane. Um, and so the top chart is the basic equipment out of the, you know, the, players, the players list. Um, the second one is the cost of castle construction, which you wouldn't, you wouldn't think to be like pretty, pretty justified, again, when you switch stuff to silver. Um, and the bottom one is the prices of um, um, uh, mercenaries, wages for mercenaries. And if, if they're they kind of falling along a straight line all the time, so they kind of match the trends of historical medieval prices. Again, with a couple of caveats. One, if you're we're switching from gold to silver, um, two, the the wages for mercenaries actually are correctly in gold. Actually, that's the one thing you should, if you make the switch, the wages for uh, for arm for armies actually should remain in gold, actually. Um, and then three, as we mentioned, the couple of outlier dots in that first chart is armor, like mail and plate, really ought to be pricier. Those are the two dots that are up. And then I think mm -hmm. the carts and wagons actually should be cheaper than they are in D&D. And those are the only two dots that go down. And other than that, you make the switch to silver, it's surprisingly on target. Even for castle costs, which like, really surprised me. Maybe. Um, you know, it's funny. I was I was trying to remember um, trying to remember. I, I felt like I had done a lot of research on this myself, and I was looking at my own blog, being like, "Did I did I do a bunch of research on this at some point?" But no, the answer is no. I researched money in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which is a whole yeah. different can of worms than it is in 
in um, D&D because it is radically inconsistent, frankly. Radically inconsistent okay. as you compare edition to Warhammer from first edition to second edition, and then I jump to fourth edition because we generally don't talk about third edition Warhammer fantasy very much. Um, but you have things like um, you have things that are consistent, and then you have other things that go up or down, and it seems almost arbitrary. Like the the, the cost. I was trying to, I think I was trying to kind of. Uh, I think this is maybe when I was working on 10 Dead Rats and I was trying to come up with, like, what is a reasonable economy for this game? And I went, oh my gosh, it's just all over the map in, in the original Warhammer editions. Anyway. Um, that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, if I can if I can uh, find a way to do this, maybe I'll share a, a funny chart from that with you. But anyway, proceed, Dan. Let's... Let's get back into detail. So again, folks can see that the article that I've got those charts in on my blog and the in the link on the, the YouTube description of the show right here. Um, should I um one thing I will say, okay, so you're you're talking about Warhammer and in several other games that have the, the 20 and 12 ratio between your three basic types. And uh one thing that I, I point out sometimes that and I and I don't mind that, uh one thing that I point out sometimes that sometimes um, uh, gets people's hackles up is the fact that, of course, all that's based on European, I mean, England, you would call them shillings and pounds, right? Pence, shillings and pounds. Mm -hmm. Other European mm -hmm. countries use the exact same system with different names. It actually comes from the system uh, laid down by Charlemagne, to my, to my understanding, in France. Um, and the observation I make is that um, shillings and pounds weren't coins in the Middle Ages. If you're in the Middle Ages and you wanted to put together a shilling or a pound, it would cause it would take multiple coins because they didn't exist as coins. Um, and it's this funny thing whereby um, they have this term, you know, units of account, which means that mm -hmm. it's a unit that you'd use in your bookkeeping. It's not actually a coin that you could pick up. So, um, and the, the comparison I make, sometimes people talk about like a grand, like, oh, that's going to set me back like three grand or something for a computer or, you know, used car or something like that. And of course, a grand isn't actually a, a bill in the United States nowadays. Um, you can't go, you can't go, you can't give me a, a one grand bill, but it's a unit that we all understand how much it is. Um, and similarly, um, and they and they they kind of did this in AD and D. This what I consider to be a bit of a mistake is that there wasn't any a silver piece isn't the same as a shilling and a gold piece isn't the same as a pound. But I could assume in my it only used silver. One oh, oh dear, Dan, are you are you still there with us? It's, I, I, your your audio is really cutting out right now. Uh, sorry, everyone. It seems to me like Dan is having some technical issues. Um, <laughs> so, um, oh, wait, maybe you're back. Are you there, Dan? Am I back? I yeah, think I'm back. Yeah, yes. I, think I, I can. I can hear you. I can hear <laughs> you're talking about. Awkward, um, you're talking about uh, shillings and pounds being, um, you know, bookkeeping. Uh, units of uh, of transaction, but not existing as actual um, uh, actual uh, physical coins. 
Right. Wait, wait. So what you did, what you do have for real, if you can, if you can still hear me, is is like a groat, yeah. which was a silver coin worth a third of a shilling, and a noble in England, which was a, a gold coin worth a third of a pound. Um, and for what it's worth, if you if you actually use those, then the um, uh, for for argument's sake. The, the gold coin is worth 20 times the silver, but the silver coin is only worth four times the copper for the mm -hmm. actual coins mm -hmm. they really had. So once again, right, you could use that, which I considered at one point. And once again, copper is still something that's kind of useful. Has some utility. You can pull it out and get some value out of it. So that's th those are the actual coins that were commonly used like in England, the Middle Ages, and that, that, that would be gameable. For sure. Sure. Yep. Um, you know, I, I guess, um, yeah, as much as, as much as I enjoyed the, the Warhammer notation, right. Of, of 12 mm -hmm. and twenties, um, because it has character. Um, I think ultimately I did not carry that forward into 10 dead rats. Um, I'm trying to remember if I did or did not, but I, I don't think I did because it is cumbersome. Right. It's a cumbersome. There's a cumbersome units for players to try and think in. Um, so I don't know. For for ease of of use, I do I like um, I like shifting things into decimal. Um, I don't know, and it, it makes things like what we were talking about earlier about like um, you know generating treasure using other tables much easier, especially for us. that that system. Ultimately, okay. was was based on OD and D mechanically. Uh, with a with a layer of of Warhammer uh, on top of it. Anyway, I mean, um, you, know, you know me that I do like right it's, it's, as as we mentioned before. I actually do like having archaic units in my D and D game, and I, I actually like having the players have to confront this you know flavorful way of measuring. So so measuring stuff in you know for starters, feet and yards and leagues and stone. And things like that. I actually and and you know some kind of and a weird non-decimal coin system. If it's not too bad, yeah. I actually kind of like them having to confront the alien nature of this world. Hmm. Hmm. I can see that. I can see that. I do. I is when when we get into units of measure that are something that the player is going to have to visualize in their head and think about what does this mean. Uh, I like something that is relatable. Um, which is which is ultimately why I don't like the stone system. I think people don't don't think in that way. Whereas, like, if you tell me, if you ask me, like, what does twenty pounds feel like to pick up? Well, I mean, you know, I have weights, I have exercise weights that I use all the time. It's gonna it's gonna argue with me. If you're like, stone is totally reasonable. Dan, nobody bowls anymore. <laughs> it's not true. If yeah, okay. So what's if I go on a Friday, wait, Saturday wait, can, night. There's more than one. Person. How can I visualize a sixth of a stone? <laughs> don't don't yeah don't do that yeah. what are you talking about there's a stone right there one stone yeah okay okay all right <laughs> we could argue all day about whether or not myself. stones are useful or not stones really heavy you know you can hurt yourself i mean if you don't know yeah, yeah. i think yeah. here in in america we're very used to feet and 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 maybe a little less so of yards but 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 certainly feet is a is a thing that we we think of um, so it's just a little more relatable, I think, to our, to our players, which I think is important when you're trying to visualize and describe things. Oh, it's 50 feet away. What does that mean? Kind of, well, I know, I know my living room is, you know, 
10 feet wide. Five of those. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, should we talk about, should we talk about money is XP? Yes. Which kind of interacts with this, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you like, right? Traditional D&D has uh, uh, money as a core part of his experience award system. And I think, right, you got it in original, you got it in first edition, you got it in Moldvay's BX. And uh, did, they, did, they, did that become optional like in second edition? Every time I have to always look this up because I tend to forget. I think it became optional in second edition, then it was just gone in third edition. Here's, here's the thing. Um, I was just, I was literally just talking to this, uh, uh, talking about this to, to Tanya, who was um, only real uh, experience playing D&D is with fifth edition. And of course, fifth edition introduces the idea of kind of DM fiat based leveling, right? Where leveling happens. Right. I can't remember what they call it, but like this, this story based, we don't track any numbers. We just say, okay, now everybody right. levels up. Go. Milestone um, based. Is, is that it? Milestone based. Milestone. Yeah. I think milestone is, is, is the mm-hmm. right thing. You know, it's a fascinating way to do experience. And it's something like, I like the idea, frankly, of tying experience points to goals. It's something I've played with in the past of, and I think we did this in 10 Dead Rats where I tried to have the players come up with goals, party goals and personal goals. And then I assigned XP rewards to those so that we could have okay. kind of plot-based XP rewards, uh, which I, which I kind of like. Uh, it, it's very abstract, right? It's very wishy-washy. It's a little hard to put your finger on. And I think that's the main problem with it. So then we go back, as you go back in editions, you look at other, oh, how, how else have we earned experience points? And traditionally, the answer is money, treasure, and killing monsters. And mm-hmm. the fascinating thing to me, right, is how those two things inverted somewhere along the line, right? In the, in the early editions, most of your XP comes from yeah. money, right? You get a little bit for killing monsters, but it's not much, and it's not, right, it's not the clear way to get ahead. And somewhere, I think maybe around third, edition this inverts and it is much more about killing monsters and much less about about the money right and right. i think that has a profound impact on the way the game is played granted yes I, I think that most players aren't constantly thinking about i need to level up i need to level up how do i level up but it is a concern it is something that's in their heads they want to increase their level and make their character better and whatnot as so they are thinking about that when they think about, well, what does my character want to do? What are my goals in the game? How do I get what I need to get ahead? And in the early editions, I think because it's so based in money, you get thematic things where players are more likely to want to steal or rob or or abscond with money yes. one way or another, yes. right? In, in old editions, it's better to, to rob the dragon's horde and get out of there without the dragon noticing you than to kill the dragon. Whereas right. as you get into later editions, it's much more uh, valuable to the players to kill the dragon and then maybe take some of its treasure. Um, but you're probably going to cherry pick the nice stuff. And then, you know, I didn't want to be weighed down with hundreds of pounds of coins. And I think I think that has a profound impact on the way the game is played, frankly. I think that, like, it's it's it really changed. The, you know, that's why you have early editions of the game focusing so much more on exploration because I want to find where the treasure is so that I can get it and get mm-hmm. out. Whereas the later editions are more, a little more combat oriented because I need to kill the things to get the experience points to level up. That's my Those are great thoughts. Those are great thoughts. And, and sometimes I don't think about it because I, st- I stick myself, I stick so much with the traditional um, 
uh, D&D, which, which agrees on this point, right? So whether I look at original mm-hmm. D&D or advanced or mold-based BX or whatever, this is, this is a point of agreement that um, uh, all through that. So I don't even think about, frankly, I don't even think about milestone leveling as an option in my games. But you're, you're so right. And the, you know, sometimes I think, you know, new players come to it and like a counter argument can be made. Well, it shouldn't be about money, right? It just shouldn't be about money. It doesn't make, or it doesn't make sense that I'm getting more experience uh, for money, but it's a really great conjuration of the pulp fantasy influences, right? Your, Your primary exemplars of characters from pulp fiction that D&D was trying to recreate was Conan and Elric and Fafford and the Grey Mouser. And they're not nice guys, but they're not, these, these, are, these are not nice noble paladins, you know, look, you know who are going out to, to save people initially, right? They're, they're mercenaries, they're, they're, you know, ne'er-do-wells, they're rogues, and they're pretty mercenary, they want money. Right. So, so fundamentally, yeah. most, of their, most of their jobs are I'm going to go rob someplace. I'm going to go I'm going to go find something and rob it. And if something else happens along the way, it's semi accidental. Um, and so it's a great uh, it, it's a great conjuration of and, and, it, and it also kind of communicates that this game initially is not about noble heroes. It's about near do well rogues fundament who are mm-hmm. grasping and greedy fundamentally that's that's what that that says to you and um i you know per, so i kind of stick to that and when i when i bring new players into original dnd i use that and say or or kind of communicate that maybe this is maybe this is sort of an accidental critique of capitalism right you're you're, you're in desperate straits you, you, there's there's no social safety net you have it you have you you were veterans you were in a war you don't have any other skills the war is over what are you going to do now you're gonna go rob tombs. You don't have any. You don't have any other options for your in your skill set. Um, and so I, I don't mind grabbing onto that. And I do feel that it. You know, if if it was something, it's and as some of our viewers have said, it's objective, right? You can put a specific number on it. The the players can go. Oh, I'm so close. I'm so close to the leveling up. We should just we we can push into one more room. Or if we can push into one more room, we could probably mm-hmm. level up. So it kind of drives very discreet uh, gameplay like that you know one person can be up and the other person's a little bit below the same level and they're like oh i want to be the same level as them um and let you know if we say at the outset of D that this was kind of a crude game design okay but it gave us the model of let's award xp for play that you want to see in the game and if if nowadays you want to come in and say you have the time and you have the energy to set a large number of heterogeneous, you know, awards for saving something or cleaning something up or or whatever, whatever. Go ahead and do that. And you know, fundamentally, it's a good idea to have awards that promote the gameplay you want to see. And that was that was the original way, and it's it's synthetic with the original Pulp Fiction. Right. I I mean I totally so agree with win, that, win, win. and I think I think that you know the, the defenders of the milestone XP system, and I think this is. And I kind of agree with a little bit this myself, is that it does open up more gameplay styles, right? We can have a D&D game that is about a court intrigue, right? It's not about monsters, killing monsters. It's not about getting money. It's about political machinations. Great. 
And then we can assign XP. We can have you level up by engaging with that kind of role play, which I think is is great. But I think as I think Calstaff kind of puts the, the you know uh, in their comments here yes. uh, really hits the nail on the head. And I think you were quoting this earlier, Dan. Uh, Calstaff says GP as XP is objective, milestone is subjective, and open to disputes. And that's really the issue. When I was again, I was when earlier today when I was describing this to Tanya, she said uh, I one of the things I think that I said that I connected with her is that one of the issues with the milestone. XP system is that it's so disconnected from the actual goals, right? It's just, well, when you achieve whatever, whatever plot goals we decide, you'll level up and I'll tell you. It doesn't tell the players what to do, right? Well, what do I do? It's, it's we're day one of the first day of our adventure. I've made my character. What should I do? Mm. <laughs> right? And I tried a little bit to solve this, frankly, in the, in the 10 Dead Rats game by saying like, well, I'm going to have you players generate your goals. Right? I'm not going to tell you that it's a political intrigue. You can make it a political intrigue if you want by saying my goal is to, you know, is to, um, you know, get rid of this lord uh, through political machinations and go great. Let's assign an XP amount that to that, and so that's fine. But a that puts the impetus on the players to figure that stuff out. Do yes, they know? Agreed. Right on agreed. day one, do they know that that lord exists or that this should be their goal? And it's right. very it's very soft, right? The problem that I was running into was that, um, you know, when they came up with the goal, did I have enough context with which to assign the amount of XP they were going to get for that goal? How long is that going to get take them to achieve that goal? I don't really know. And so sometimes it was way off in either direction. Sometimes it was like, oh, that was such an easy goal. We finished it in the night. Oh, okay, great. Everybody gets a bunch of XP. Sometimes it took months. <laughs> And we're like, man, it's been a long time since the characters leveled up. It's, re it's really difficult. So I do appreciate systems like gold or monster killing, but I think I like gold better, of, of saying like, yeah, there's a, a very easy mechanical correlation here. Each gold piece you gain is an experience point in your pocket. That's how you're going to level up. Or each silver piece. Or each silver piece. <laughs> yes, right. I, I I very much agree. There's a, there's a lot of benefits to it that I really like, um, and and also that I'm not you know that I, that the the players can't point at you know the, there's less impetus I think for the players to point at the referee and go we we think we should have been leveling up more, um, and I can go you know you should have gotten more you should have gotten more treasure. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's on so you. It does, it, it does lead us to, I think, a topic that we haven't talked about, Dan, which is the, the inverse of this, which is then, well, then how do I know how much treasure to put in my dungeon when I'm, when I'm stocking right. a dungeon? Right. And that's, frankly, that's been a head scratcher for, I think, both of us for a while. It's not an easy thing to solve. Uh, yeah, the, the books that... give you a chart, like stock your dungeon in this way, roll these dice and randomly determine and roll in these charts. I think you and question I have both mark, been a little mark? dissatisfied with that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I my so that's a whole separate that's a whole separate hour, and I've spent a lot of work on this issue. I've done a lot of work on this issue, as you know, of course. And I my my thesis these days is that there was a struggle, uh, frankly, between Arneson and Gygax, and that they didn't agree on this issue. And, and in original D and D, you you basically have two systems. There's one treasure system that is connected to the monsters in Volume Two. And there's a second system that's that's gauged to the dungeon level in volume three, and they're completely different. Um, and within a year, right, within a year of D&D &D being published, Gygax starts showing these brand new charts 
that are totally different than the monster mm -hmm. treasure types. And by so if D and D came out in 1974, by 1975, the very first the very first TSR magazine had this new this new chart for treasure. And then he's got this monster these series of publications in the in the mid 70s um, that totally change it. And so my thesis is right at the start, it was very unclear, it was very ambiguous. And Gygax actually didn't like the system that Arneson came up with. And very quickly, he had a totally separate second system. Um, mm. And that's that's something that we can maybe talk about more another day. But there's, I, to me, there's at least two systems in original D&D, and they don't match up at all. Do you, so, so since we don't have very much time left in this in this episode, do you, can we cut to the chase? Do you have a recommendation for how to put uh, treasure into your dungeon? I, I do, but it's 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 uh, it doesn't fit in this margin. <laughs> we we've been, I'll say we I've kicked it I've, I've kicked it around on our Discord server, right? So I have I have a prototype of a one page system that generates treasure, kind of in the same flavor as Gygax's Gygax's system, and uh, we've kicked it around on Discord, and people said that it looked it looked reasonable. Um, it's what I'm going to use uh, going forward, and I will say this: you look at look at this. Right, the, the 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 treasure types is just one example. Is the tre the treasure types for monsters right in original D and D and all through early D and D? They're in units of thousands, like we said. So you make a treasure, and it's going to be two to ten thousand copper pieces, and one to six thousand gold pieces. It's all in thousands. If you look at any of Gygax's adventures, there's no treasures like that. There's no treasures in thousands, mm. right? If you look in his when he was running his uh, Greyhawk first level at a convention once that the treasures are like 20 gold pieces or like 80 silver pieces. And if you look in, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the famous um, uh, keep on the borderlands, the treasures are not always 3000, 5000, 8000, right? They're, they're, they're in the, they're in different units, like usually hundreds. So mm -hmm. uh, for the same issue of like, it's kind of ridiculous to always have to deal with thousands of gold. Even look at um, even look at the dungeon board game. Right, the treasure's like a sack of a hundred gold pieces or a sack of two hundred gold pieces. It's not always thousands. So, um, so I, I, th I think Gygax had a, frankly, was had a had a more nuanced system, um, and um, I do kind of like looking at that. Um, and I, I, I personally don't use the monster treasure types myself. Hmm. All right, Great. that's Great. that's more well, another episode. More another episode. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, well, we'll have to we'll have to come back to that and talk about uh, stocking. I've, I've so, I have I I have hundreds of spreadsheets. <laughs> I have hundreds of spreadsheets that I that I that I need to publicize at some point. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, in the meantime, I guess if if folks want to want to see uh, the the um, in the works version of this, uh, hop onto the Discord and uh, dig it up because uh, it sounds like there's been some conversations about it. Great. Yeah, we Love are feedback. just about out of time. So um, any final thoughts on money in D&D? I love the silver standard. It just, it seems really tasteful. Um, it, it, it allows you to use historical sources to fill in, to fill in gaps. Um, it gives you, it gives you this, this, this upward graduation if players start with silver and then they go to gold and platinum or gems or something else. Uh, when, you, when you modify the weight to historical levels, like you're talking about, Paul, you can you can haul out legitimately valuable treasure hauls and um just so many things so many things make sense and again this this idiom that 
you know, D&D money is just totally nonsensical. And there's no way you can ever make sense about it. Just like instead of gold, it's silver. And instead of 10 per pound, it's like 100 per pound. You're pretty much on the ball game at that point. It doesn't it really doesn't take not perfect, but it doesn't take too much of a tweak. And you're actually pretty much pretty real world all of a sudden. Yeah, that's excellent. That's excellent. Um, yeah. And, and it, you know, it just it feels right and it looks right. You know, when I try to imagine right. it or visualize it in my head. Uh, you know, a lot of these thoughts, frankly, for me, were originating from um, visiting uh, the, 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 uh, a museum in Britain and seeing, because it's very common, frankly, right. I guess, around there to find these caches of coins buried at, in random places because right. that happened. Right? <laughs> and you look at these piles of coins uh, these, that, that were discovered buried, a literal buried treasure from the medieval period, and the coins are, are quite small. You know? And there's, there's a couple hundred of them at best, right? They're, they're not, yeah, it's not, and it just lines up. And it, it, just, it matches, it good, it feels it matches good. players' yeah. intuitions, right? If you get a brand yeah. new player into the game. See, if you're an old expert in any game, you, you wind up hand-waving away all these abstractions that have built up over time, right? But if a new player yeah. comes into the game, you want their intuitions to be relevant. And, you know, if I have, you know, if I have a bag full of coins, you kind of feel like there ought to be like a thousand and not like 20. Um, and um, I think that, that that kind of connection to the real world really uh, gives additional depth to your game, and I'm, I'm all for that. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, this is unusual, I think, Dan, that you and I have, uh, have these kind of topics like this where we're just like, yep, total, total agreement. Absolutely. This is, just, <laughs> this is the right way to do it, and you should just do it that way. Um, so I think that's interesting. I, if, if any of our viewers have contrary thoughts... You're wrong, but um, maybe leave us a comment here in the, in the YouTube uh, video. Uh, point out why you think maybe it should be different, or um, you know, other thoughts, other ideas of how to deal with um, stocking your your dungeon with treasure. Like that's an upcoming show. We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Maybe that'll help feed some of our thoughts in that direction. Leave us some comments. Let us know what you think. Maybe that'll um, impact our next show. Definitely. And of course, remember that you can like, follow, and subscribe to us. We're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we have the handle Wandering DMs on all of the sites. So look for us there. You'll get updates on upcoming shows like this one. If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can do so. Those shows are available on our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through various podcast carriers such as iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast. If you're listening to us right now on a site that offers our show and they give the ability to do so, please rate and review our show. It helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. And, of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the show here, just like Paul said at the top of the show. If you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms, and all of our tiers get you access to our Discord server, among other benefits. And we'll be having our after chat that we have every Sunday by video on our Discord in about 10 minutes from now. Uh, love seeing people continue the conversation about your ideas about money or treasure or silver or experience and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, we'll be back next Sunday. Uh, and then we're also planning, uh, some of us are planning possibly a special show Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we'll probably talk more about that next Sunday. That's a, a week from now. Um, so be on the lookout for uh, a show we might have live here Thanksgiving Day. But, of course, we are live every 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.